Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds. It was uh, so great talking about Mexico City again. I've spent so many years visiting that wonderful place, and uh, I was intrigued to learn that you're from there originally. What is it about Mexico City you think that creates such dynamism and innovation and creativity? Well, I mean, uh, I think it's mostly the weather, good food, <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, the people, right? Like the people are very entrepreneurial, not necessarily around tech, but but yeah, like uh, there's, there is this, uh, I mean, Mexico City is just a super big city, right? Like definitely one of the main drivers is its dynamism that is created by the people that live in it. <laughs> and let's not forget the mezcal. <laughs> of course, and, and the mezcal and tequila like also play a, a very important role. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, having a chat with uh, Rodrigo Mendoza, who is the uh, co-founder and CEO of a new company called Quine uh, that we'll talk a little bit about later. He also has a PhD in mathematics from the University of Oxford and came across you, uh, Rodrigo, because you wrote this fantastic article on, on Medium um, that was entitled Devs Have Eaten the World. It's uh, right. it's good to meet you. Yeah, same same uh, same, same same here. Like, uh, thanks so much for the invitation. You know, many years ago when I when I first started my career, I, I remember the book The Cathedral and the Bazaar by Eric Raymond, which came out, and I had a number mm -hmm. of you know software engineers who were working with me at the time, and and this really became a philosophical shift in the way that people thought about not just the open source movement, but the value of software engineering in general. I mean, fast forward almost. 20 years later, and, and really Mark Andreessen's essay, um, Software, It Will Eat the World, has proven correct. Yes, I mean, like, it's, it's very interesting you mentioned this book. I, I think that this book essentially was one of the main reasons open source, open source thrived as a movement. Essentially, historically speaking, sort of like uh, open source uh, has related mainly to source code. And uh, now, of course, the term has extended to other assets like uh, products, documents, even constitutions. Mm. And, um, and yeah, like in my opinion, this, this book provided the pragmatism that uh, companies and developers needed to, cons to consider the, you know, like the, the opening or an, an, the opening of code bases and the creation of open source frameworks for collaboration. I often like to sort of like uh, talk about the the um, the values of academia when I when I talk about open source in academia, for example, knowledge is open and is peer reviewed. Uh, knowledge is essentially built on top of all all knowledge. Uh, knowledge is a public asset. These at the very beginning were the same values of the open source movement. Um, the 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 this the software creation process was in 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 some ways privatized when um, when it, it started to be co started to be costly to write software and uh, the space needed this sort of like uh, this sort of like reason or this pragmatism to uh, actually like convince the ecosystem that uh, software needed to be written in a, in an open and collaborative way and and the book you mentioned the Cathedral and the Bazaar pro provided this framework. But you know what? When I, when I think back, I mean, that book came out in 1997. It, it was yep. almost inconceivable back then that open source technology would be so inextricably woven in, in, into the world we live in. 
uh, web browsers, operating systems, smartphones. I mean, you, you basically can't do anything um, without using open source software in, in some respect. What really led to the, the triumph of what began as a group of hobbyists, I guess, uh, yeah. <laughs> basically creating non-commercial software to, to it being sort of mission critical to the way the world runs? Yeah, I mean, in part, it was that at some point, uh, people started to realize that um, in some cases, it was much more expensive to develop code privately that, than openly. Uh, so the Cathedral and the Bazaar advocates for, you know, like, like this open framework of collaboration. And it's essentially based on the assumption that, you know, like many eyes looking at a piece of code are better than just a pair of eyes, right? Like a, like code is is a, a structure that is produced by humans and then is is very prone to have bugs. So sort of like bug fixing uh, has been um, yeah like uh, has been reducing productivity in the software developer space since 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 the profession started. When the creation of software scaled with the dot com bubble, etc., it became evident that first of all uh, value was not always in, in code, uh, that, that companies could save tremendous amount of money just by reusing code that other people had written. Right. And that, and yeah, like, uh, that essentially the, the real value stemmed from, from combining the pieces of code that people had written before in ways that were clever and, uh, and, and pretty much produced value for end customers. So, so, so you're yeah, saying like, that the, the customization and synthesis is, is where the, the value is created? Uh, so uh, I think it depends, right? Like, uh, like um, value, I mean, the question, I, I guess, calls for another question, which is like, what's, what is value in the first place, right? Like, I mean, like, uh, like the fact that a piece of code is free and open doesn't mean it, 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 it has no value. The... The value, uh, the value in, in software at the end of the day uh, com- comes from maybe like uh, the application, the sort of like the, the value it's given to, to, to the end users, sort of like uh, the ways it's, it's using data or, or it's using machine intelligence. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, um, open source at the end of the day, we can think about it as baking a cake, right? Like uh, open source uh, are the ingredients which, I mean, have value in themselves, but, but you know, like what, what you're going to be selling to the end consumer is pretty much baked sort of like piece of cake, right? So, so um, at the beginning, definitely, uh, when, when software was not so democratized, writing software was very, very expensive. With, with, it remained expensive, but uh, companies started realizing that uh, the value, you know, like the, the industry was moving from building computers and, and building like 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 low level uh, machine code to pretty much building services on top of these computers and on top of these machines. So uh, so yes, this is yeah how I see it happen. I mean, let, let's talk a little bit more about value. One of the things you wrote was that open source produces economic value at scale, but that value can't be back propagated to the the people who actually created it. So what? Why is it that you know people participate in these in these projects when you know, on one side, you've got these massive cloud-based software as a service companies making hundreds of millions of dollars, and then you have a developer community who's essentially not getting paid. Yes, this is a very, very good question, and I think it goes back uh, to like to like the genesis of, uh, of of software development and software creation. I mean, at the beginning, 
software and code was a topic that pertained mainly academics. So like they, they studied code just for the sake of... It was like fundamental research, right? It's like it was fundamental research and, and essentially like the process of code writing and, and pretty much extending software was subject to to the to the main values in academia, which is uh, you know like uh, code. Uh, I mean, creations should be peer reviewed, um, are subject to falsification. It's only when um, when when code starts to be a fundamental component of of the computer industry that uh, that, that companies start seeing it as something that has uh, value, economic value in itself. Mm-hmm. The I mean, like. Um, the, the way research is produced in, in academia is is additive, like knowledge is an is an additive uh, sort of like kind of a paradigm. Uh, sort of a, you you create new knowledge by building on top of old knowledge, and that's essentially what uh, has with open with open source software and I'm pretty much like low, low level software. Sort of like uh, some some abstractions that people start to, start to like writing over and over and over. You know, like just became a library, and then pretty much people started using this library with with, with other sort of uh, abstractions, and, and then maybe it became a library on top of the library. So, so sort of um, the the way to think to think about uh, code is uh, is essentially similar to the way uh, academics do research. So, sort of like uh, an academic. So, for example, I'm a mathematician. When they provide a theorem, they will they will not build mathematics from scratch. They they will use theorems that are already out there. They will combine them and they will reason out in clever way in clever ways to produce a new piece of knowledge. There is a commercial dimension to this as well. I mean, if you think about something like GitHub, it's it's sort of it, it's gone from being just a repository of of code or version control, and it's become a, in itself a marketplace where your contributions lead to job offers or or, or more commissioning, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, so GitHub is a very interesting company in in that regard because uh, one of the ingredients that that, uh, made open source thrive was essentially the creation of Git, the the version control tool that uh, GitHub is built upon. And and, and then essentially GitHub, right? Like uh, GitHub in in, in reality is a social network of developers, Mm. a social network of contributors. Um, it, it, it's become now the, the central repository of open source software. So, um, so yeah, I mean, like, uh, like why, why do developers contribute to open source? Well, there's many reasons. I mean, the, one, the, one of the most popular reasons is like for, for, for learning purposes, right? Uh, like essentially, um, uh, there's, there's no better way to learn how to code than, than coding and, most of the times, like uh, like your code can pretty much help a project that other uh, other projects or other people are already using. So so like the, the the motivation of working on something that people will almost immediately use is 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 like uh, one of the drivers. But of course, like um, there is there is, there are some marketplace and marketplace dynamics here in that many developers feel the need to give back to the community. So like uh, we were born into well like some of us were born into a world where essentially software software tools were already there for us to use at the in the way we please like there's a number of people that came before us that wrote the most basic tools that that, that we now use to produce like new product services libraries whatever 
Um, so, so, so like this community feeling is, I guess, also like one of the most um, important or one of the most honest drivers in contributing to open source. And now after GitHub, I mean, as you say, uh, people, people have started to contribute to open source to signal their software skills and signal that, that, uh, that they possess uh, a specific um, sort of like a level of knowledge or, or experience. And yes, that can definitely lead to job opportunities you know, like uh, it, it, it can lead to pretty much, uh, yeah, like um, uh, be, being part of a network or it, it can even lead to, uh, to ha having access to the venture capital market. I mean, uh, um, now open source is in reality a passion economy, sort of uh, just as just as YouTube is essentially a passion economy in which in which YouTube creators create content that uh, an audience can watch. Open source has also become uh, some sort of economy in which repository owners sort of like create projects that an, aud an audience can contribute to. Uh, the motivations are varied, but yeah, like uh, more and more, they're starting to align to um, to being like reputation driven. Yeah, so like um, uh, I mean, one 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 important change, of course, has been the the entry of big corporations into all of this. I, I mean, if you if you think back to two thousand one, I think. Steve Vollmer famously called Linux a cancer <laughs> that uh, attaches itself to intellectual yeah, property. Yeah. And, and then, you know, fast forward to today and Microsoft has actually bought GitHub and IBM's bought Red Hat and more and more big companies are yep. sponsoring, you know, big open source projects. I, I mean, does this in a sense change the nature of the values of the movement? Um, does it change the ideas of open governance? Or is it just, as you say, a, a kind of a, the logical extension yeah. of a world where it's better that code is looked at by, by lots of eyes? I mean, yeah, no, like definitely. I mean, the very fact that Microsoft acquired GitHub says that, you know, like there, there's, there are like a very strong economic interest in, in the open source ecosystem. So like uh, the values have definitely been vilified. I mean, especially like uh, if GitHub continues to grow and to pretty much monopolize open source code then that goes against the whole philosophy of open source right like uh, it's mm -hmm. like uh, the, the, the 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 open the open source assets humanity has produced now belong to a company that is an, under the control of the company that 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 called open source a cancer right so um so, so yeah i mean like uh, definitely there's there's some vilification there um with respect to let i mean let's say the geopolitical intentions between companies definitely the perception of open source has changed so 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 for instance i mean i remember uh, five uh, five six years, six years ago uh, companies were starting to open source some projects because they wanted to send a signal to potential developers that they were an open source friendly company or i mean more like a developer friendly company and they were using this just to sort of like uh, signal this uh, openness to the developer community and, and be in a privileged position with respect to sourcing talent. The playground, ha the playground has changed considerably since then. I mean, like now, I mean, uh, I think in, in a way companies are responding to the pretty much problem of open source maintenance. So, um, so sort of like um, open source is currently under big trouble. Creators can't monetize. The, the the code uh, the code right because you know like it's open source by definition so so a number of strategies have flourished in the last few years uh, most of them concerning uh, donation frameworks to software creators so sort of like 
it's all very fun to, to start a new project, but if the project essentially is successful, then it will be used by many, many code bases, many, many companies, and the users will, will demand will demand maintenance of the project. They will demand bug fixing. They will, de- they will demand uh, new features, etc. If the project is, is open source by nature, then, uh, then essentially the, the, the creators, if, if they really want their creation to pretty much be an established library or, or an established piece of code, they will need to pretty much put in the time and effort to create these new features and maintain their software right. for other users to, to use, right? So sort of, a, sort of like a, there are a number of open source creators that uh, are 100% committed to maintaining projects. And yeah, like there's a paradox here because, because you know, like big companies like Google, Facebook, or Microsoft are pretty much making millions running code that depends on these creations, yet these these maintainers are making circa fifteen hundred dollars per month on donations. Um, but this goes to the, the, you know, the I guess the crux of your your thesis as well around the value of developer time. Because in a way, what's changed is that the open source movement has gone away from being a sort of a collection of enthusiastic hobbyists, you know, who maybe have a more academic focus on on fundamental research to maybe being a way for big corporations to tap a diversified global pool of talent. Um, you know, exactly. you may not be able to get the world's smartest machine learning engineer to go, come and work for you unless you're paying them $10 million a year, but they might contribute to an element of a, of a project you're sponsoring. Yes. Uh, like um, essentially open source, nah, I mean, like a, uh, Thanks to platforms like GitHub, GitLab, and Bitbucket, open source creations are now visible to everyone, right? So sort of like a, a pretty much code, of course, is, is, is organized in, in terms of repositories, but each repository is built from a series of commits, I mean, so-called commits, uh, which are authored by, by contributor. So, so sort of like uh, the... The, the whole, let's say, history of software we're using right now, or, or most of it at least, is authored. So, 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 so like we know who wrote it. I mean, this pretty much incentivizes people to uh, sort of like uh, invest time in maintaining projects or creating new projects uh, in, in order to pretty much being able to use this work, uh, this sort of like a community validated piece of work in order to get like uh, new jobs or positions, etc. Mm-hmm. The one, one thing to say here, and, and this is related to your previous question, um, companies are also st- strategically using open source to cross-pollinate their products. For example, uh, Google, um, like, a, like a couple of years ago, uh, started offering special features in its Google Cloud products uh, that are that pertain TensorFlow, right? So, so yeah. TensorFlow is this machine learning library that uh, is patronized by Google to, to produce machine learning models. Um, and really, like the, the the passive bet here, I, I mean, and this is this is just an, an opinion. Is is essentially that if 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 Google sort of like um, like uh, achieves, you know, like if Google sort of like uh, works to make TensorFlow the leading machine lear- learning library in the world, then you know, like. Uh, like these network effects that uh, concentrate in, in TensorFlow will, uh, will be immediately or almost immediately monetizable by, by creating a special TensorFlow features in the Google Cloud service. 
So, so sort of like a, there, there are many, let's say, there are many ways companies uh, now um, engage with open source. I mean, like all of them, of course, uh, in, in public, they, they, they claim that they have honest intentions and, you know, like uh, pretty much like growing, growing the developer community, giving <laughs> back to the community, etc. But, uh, but, but, but there's a definite benefit as well. Yeah, yeah, like there, there, are, there, are, there are like really clear economic and essentially strategic kind of like plans behind uh, open source strategies. Well, this, um, is, this is part of the thing that really fascinates me because, you know, leaving aside the, the philosophy of open source, if you step back and just look at it as a distributed way of creating intellectual property, um, you know, yes. so many of those fundamentals uh, of, of software development, you know, version control, um, you know, using issues and bug tracking uh, to modularize work. I mean, can yeah, can, yeah, can, so, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, like, like definitely. I mean, like, I mean, you, you, you talk about like open source intellectual property, right? Definitely, open source would be consistent with our economic uh, system with capitalism. If, for example, every time uh, you know, like, uh, Google makes one dollar. From selling one of their services, right? Like, like this, this dollar is like broken down into pieces that uh, backpropagate to pretty much the the people that wrote the software until the lowest level, right? So, 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 so sort of like uh, it's very important here to realize that 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 yes, like there's intellectual property associated to open source, but uh, but uh, we we have we have technology limitations that prevents us from actually capitalizing from our own contributions to open source projects. What I'm interested in is do some of these I guess principles of of software development, you know, as other parts of work for people who aren't programmers become in a sense more like coding. So if you're working in marketing or finance, essentially you're starting to now use algorithms to design business processes and business logic. Do you think that eventually this, in a way, we're all going to become coders in, in that we're going to adopt aspects of software development in the way that everyone works? That's, that's a very interesting thought. Um, and uh, I, I actually have an opinion on this. I mean, I, I think, yes, like at some point we will all be coding. Uh, one of the ways to, 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 pretty much, uh, to pretty much argue is that the software development is, is one of the few professions that are resistant to automation. Like, uh, like currently, a lot of uh, professions are being automated, right? Like, uh, like, uh, like now we're even seeing like self-driving cars. Yeah. Uh, soon enough, we'll be able to, to see like, uh, you know, like self-cooking food, etc. cetera. Um, the, the act of developing software combines so many dimensions of human intelligence that it would be impossible for a machine to completely uh, sort of like uh, write software unless this, this, this machine intelligence is, is what is called an artificial general intelligence. I mean, uh, an, an, an AGI essentially is an intelligence that is uh, similar to humans with respect to uh, creativity, reasoning, communication, and problem solving. Mm. So, uh, so pretty much here, there are, there are pretty much two options, which is either we are dominated by the machines or we all become coders. But I mean, so, machines can uh, automate some of the coding elements, you know, uh, yes. basic coding, test software testing. But you're, what you're saying is the very high value abstract coding always always assumes human intelligence is superior creatively than, than a machine exactly. intelligence. Exactly. 
Hmm. Yes. So so pretty much machines can definitely automate stuff. Like uh, I mean, there are there are now like uh, autocompletes. You know, like they they, they they can automate debugging sometimes, like uh, refactoring and some basic operations in the in the process of writing software. But 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 the, the creative and pretty much intellectual achievement of of designing software is something that that is theorized that uh, is currently monopolized by humans and will and and yes like uh, there's there, there will be no way that a machine will be able to do it unless unless the machine reaches an intelligence in all dimensions similar to human intelligence so so along those lines if we're all going to be coders in the future do you think that you know we'll use something like github eventually to store business logic business processes like in a sense we'll be able to open source part of the organizational logic Yes, definitely. Uh, at some point, everyone will pretty much be committing to to GitHub, which is which is one of the reasons we need open source GitHub, right? Like uh, mm. GitHub um, should pretty much kind of like rule itself under the same values of open source. And um, and yeah, like if so much of the of the of the world's work sort of uh, depends on a single platform, then then that that's dangerous, right? Um, like, like yes, like definitely, I think that uh, in 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 the next few decades, most people will be writing software in one way or another. I mean, and and this is essentially um, just uh, by uh, by product or or a side or a side effect of automation. I mean, automation is um, sort of like. Um, automating people's jobs but uh, in in reality what it's doing is it's giving computer scientists and engineers jobs they didn't have before you've been listening to between worlds for more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds mm-hmm.